raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. We are back. It is Kevin's Corner. It is leading into week six and what really for mid-October this is about as, frankly, juicy of an AFC South matchup as you're going to get. Um, I, I think, Eddie, one of these, like, if you win on Sunday, your division odds increase by X. If, if you lose, they decrease by X. I have a feeling like this would be one of the games that would have a you know bigger variance um, again, especially for a week six game in the month of October. So we'll get to Colts Jags here in a bit. Uh, four point spread, I believe, was the last I saw with Jacksonville favored in this one. And obviously, we know how much of a house of horrors that's been for the Colts. But before we get into any of that, certainly uh, two two big items. And one is just us getting an opportunity to finally have a little bit of time to chat about it. And that would be the Jonathan Taylor contract extension and the other would be um the latest on anthony richardson which man uh, i'm leaving colts practice right now and i'll admit you know turning over my left and all of a sudden seeing anthony richardson in a sling was quite the sight to see as he was watching his first of you know certainly at least four weeks of practice that he will watch so uh, that'll be the lay of the land for today's podcast richardson taylor jags talk we'll also play our interview from will carroll um, for those unfamiliar with Will, he's an injury expert here in town. Has a lot of history in the medical field and medical and sports field, and I always appreciate that blend because, you know, I, I think that can be different than just strictly, obviously, the sports field or just strictly the medical field. And I think Will provides a little bit more insight into what exactly an AC joint sprain is and all the ramifications off of that. Eddie, good afternoon. Uh, that looks like a wonderful dessert you're having. Yeah, it's a nice little snack. I uh, just need something cold. I was feeling a little hot, so nice little popsicle. It's cookie butter. Look at that. Yeah, we cookie had um, Marcus, um, no, I can't remember who we had studio on, on Querying Company, yeah. um, brought in a box of popsicles for us. Gosh, I might have to go grab one here. Rosie yeah. would love if I bring that home. Uh, my question to you is, before we start diving too, too deep into this, um, yeah. what was it What was it like seeing a, um, a number 12 jersey on the practice field? <laughs> I know, yeah, Kellen Mond rocking number 12. And, you know, he's got, like, the height and the weight that it's like, oh, wait, that's not DeMichael Harris. Yeah. I'm trying to think of years past when they have given out number 12, or I think Vincent Smith might have been number 12 this year at training camp. So, yeah, Kellen Mond. Uh, decorated, decorated collegian, Eddie. I believe it's him, Tebow, and Dak Prescott. The only SEC QBs with at least, I think it's 9,000 yards and 1,000 rushing yards for their careers. I don't know, maybe Hendon Hooker cracked that. But at least when Mon was exiting A&M, he was one of three. And obviously, um, you know, has not lived up to whatever hype there was. I mean, he was a third-round pick. He's thrown, I think, three passes in his career. Minnesota and Cleveland, and uh, he is your third quarterback right now. So uh, we'll see how things play out with Gardner Minshew. And then Sam Mellinger and Kellen Mond. Um, But, yeah, let's just start there, Eddie. I know we hit on it a little bit on Monday, but certainly have some clarity on it now, and I guess are still awaiting even further clarity. But injured reserve for Anthony Richardson. Out at least four weeks. Uh, Shane Steichen made sure to say, He'll be out for a minimum of four weeks. So I think that's where you get into the first off. I think there's a pretty obvious timetable of yes, he's 
on IR, which means four weeks, but we all have looked at the schedule, and I mapped it out on Monday. Okay, so four weeks means what? No Jacksonville, no Cleveland, no New Orleans, no Carolina. By the way, do they flex Colts-Panthers out of 405 now that Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young will not be the matchup? My guess is no, because of time. are they Eastern? Carolina? Yeah. Eastern time zone? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlotte, for sure. I don't know if it... I just meant bump that to 1 yeah. o'clock and then bump somebody from 1 to 4.05. That's neither here nor there. Uh, then the week 5 would be New England and Germany, and then the week 6 would be the bye week. So I think it makes plenty of sense to obviously sit Anthony Richardson until at least you get back from the bye week. That would be Tampa Bay uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. That would leave seven games to go this season. Um, Adam Schefter reported, you know, four to eight weeks, and Shane Steichen certainly did not say anything to the contrary today when asked, hey, is surgery a possibility? Uh, we'll, we'll talk to the doctors and figure that out. Uh, is there a chance this is season ending? We'll see. We'll talk to the doctors and figure that out. So, you know, this is at least going to be four weeks, and in all likelihood, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that. Um, And, Eddie, let's be honest, they're going to be pretty cautious, I would think, with it, considering it's the throwing shoulder of your franchise quarterback and PTSD for Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard have got to be alive and well. Uh, The overwhelming word that I cannot get out of my head, Eddie, is just bummed. I think this is just an absolute bummer that this is where we're at with Anthony Richardson's rookie season. And let's just play out the four-week timetable. You'll be nine games into Anthony Richardson's rookie year, and he will have started and finished one. And if you look at the amount of quarters he will have missed of game action, the amount of practices he will have missed, I mean, that as well. I mean, um, you know, he's going to miss, what, nine games? So that's, what, 25 of the 36 quarters he's played in so far? Um, or 25 of the 36 quarters he will have missed have played in 11. If you look at the amount of practices that he's had, he will have missed you know over half of those. So again, all of that is just where I come back to this is a bummer. Reps are so vital for him. Um, in, in a way, if you are a fan of the Indianapolis Colts, you suffered last year. Hell, you've suffered through the quarterback carousel. But let's just talk specifically last year. You went 4-12-1. It was arguably, in my opinion, the most embarrassing season this franchise has had in Jim Mercy's ownership. Um, you fired one coach, you fired a coordinator, you hired a dude from TV that looked like you know that dude was going to be the head coach for, for the national media, and then you know all of a sudden here comes Shane Steichen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you suffer all that disappointment and embarrassment. The reward at the end of the tunnel should be here's your rookie QB. Now you get to watch him. And you get to watch him grow and mature and experience what life in the NFL is like. And now that's stunted and that's been halted. Um, and Eddie, I think I sit here and I'm like very encouraged by what Anthony Richardson has shown on the football field. But I'm also like, man, he started and finished just one game. Like that fourth quarter against the Rams, when I was really, really impressed by what he showed late in that game, I'm like, that's the norm, right? Or is it the outlier? You know, right. like the, these are the things you just don't know because the sample size is so incredibly small. You want to see him in more fourth quarter moments. Look at the upcoming schedule. I mean, if you talk about Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans, even a little New England, some pretty good defenses. 
I mean, th- that would be kind of mm-hmm. great opportunities for Richardson. Um, so that's where, again, it, it's just an absolute kick in the nuts. Just an absolute kick in the nuts to you know what your expectations were, to what you're going to get to this season. And, and I don't know how we get to January or February. I don't know. Maybe he'll play the final seven games and it'll all go swimmingly well and he'll stay healthy. But the odds are that probably won't happen. And so, Eddie, you're going to get to January and February, and the thing that you want the most, you want to get clarity out of your young quarterback as quickly as possible. And obviously that's not always going to be the case. Clearly it's not in this instance. But you want clarity. You want clarity as them them as a player, and you want clarity as them on them handling NFL life. And handling NFL life is the fame, the fortune, and it's also – a 17-game schedule, and no, you know, insert South Alabama here on the schedule or, you know, insert your directional school that you're going to play. I mean, these are 17 very tough games, and getting through that, progressing into a playoff team, et cetera, et cetera, is quite the challenge. And for year one, uh, unfortunately, a lot of that clarity gets pretty clouded with this, and really... A lot of it is injury-related, arguably 80-90% of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes this extra difficult is like the questions we now have about Richardson, they don't have a lot of easy answers. It's not like, oh, yeah, he's, um, you know, boy, he threw 30 picks as a rookie. He's got to clean that up. Or, you know, man, 48%, you know, you got to rise in that number. You know, it's not – those aren't really the questions. It's more of just – how does he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? I mean, I felt like an idiot today asking Shane Steichen, like, he's 21 years old. Is there any – because I, I know Shane feels this way off the record. I was curious if he'd say it on the record. But I'm like, is there any sort of, like, are you worried about him, like, in terms of his body still needs to grow? like Or, like, develop, become – like, he's 21, he gained 10 pounds out of the blue. He pretty much said this offseason, like, hey, I wasn't even trying to get to 255, and I just did. Like, is that part of what's leading to some of these injuries? Um, and obviously Shane didn't say anything on that end, uh, but I felt like that was, you know, at least a question that needs to be asked, and I'm sure it's a question, and I know it's a question the Colts have thought about internally. So that's where they're kind of at a, at a loss, and I think a lot of us are kind of at a loss with all of this. Does the expectation or the outlook on what they're trying to accomplish change now with the uncertainty of how long he's out because as we've talked about religiously this year primarily about the development of Uh Anthony Richardson and what kind of quarterback is he is he an NFL quarterback and now there's a possibility that hey you know he could be out four weeks he could be out the rest of the year and if so does that change what the what they're trying to accomplish now the rest of the season, possibly if Gardner Minshew is the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to remove that from the storyline book, if you will. Um, I mean, you know, and Eddie, I think it's one thing for like me to lay out storylines. It's another thing for Shane Steichen to lay out storylines. I mean, yes, he gets the importance of Anthony Richardson without question, but he also gets the importance of a win every single Sunday yep. as being the sole goal. And, and that obviously remains the goal. I mean, I do think, and, and let's just stick to Richardson here for just a second. The question becomes, okay, you know, playing style wise, what should change? 
is there anything that can change? You know, I've long said you don't draft him four overall if you're going to say to him, hey, man, um, what you do really well, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore, and that would be him running. Like, that still needs to be there. Go back and watch the Zach Moss touchdown from Sunday. You know, if that's Gardner Minshew, there's no way that goes for 56. It, it, you know, Tennessee doesn't have a corner and a safety kind of stuck in mud for a second, preoccupied by what Richardson's going to do. Boom, they're out of position, and Moss is running the other way. Now, I think the number, and we had Stephen Holder on our morning show earlier today, Stephen said that 16 design runs have been called for Anthony Richardson this season. We know of the four injuries that he has suffered, three of those four have occurred on the design runs. So if you look at the 16 design runs called, three of those 16 have led to an injury. So my question becomes this, Eddie. If you look at Richardson so far, he's played about 170 snaps. So you've had 16 design runs and about 170 snaps. That's one every 10, one every 11. Sorry for all the math here. Can you bring that number down a little bit? Can that number become one out of every 17, one out of every 18? Because I still think the threat of him as a runner will always be there as long as you do it on occasion. Like what Tennessee play defensively on the Zach Moss touchdown run, that's always going to be there. Yeah, But maybe instead of eight design runs a game or whatever the number is, what if it's four? And what that would do is it would lessen the opportunities for him to be prone to injury. Let's not say injury prone, but Mm -hmm. prone to injury. And it would obviously keep him away from a couple of extra hits a game. Now, Injuries can be very freakish and very flukish, and you never know when they're going to arise. Deshaun Watson tears his ACL in practice you know, the other year. So um, I know you aren't going to totally eliminate it, but I'm thinking, okay, how can you lessen it a little bit, still make sure that threat is there? Because you've got to find some happy medium, mm-hmm. I think, with this. So that's a thought that I have had just with his style of play, because obviously that is such a big question. Um I know we talked about this a little bit on Monday, Eddie, but like, you know, you go back and watch those four plays, and if you look at the the hits that were against him in those four plays, you know, three of the four defenders who hit him, they weighed forty pounds or 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 more less than him. Forty pounds more than forty pounds less than him. Hope that makes sense. Uh, Richardson weighs 255. You got a 215-pound linebacker in Jacksonville hitting him on one. You got a 200-pound Houston safety on another. You've got a 209-pound Jacksonville safety on the other. So, obviously, Harold Landry is very close to his size. Probably height-wise isn't quite as tall as Richardson, but still 250 pounds. But what I'm getting at there is, again, I mean, these are hits coming from dudes that weigh 40 pounds less than him that are still leading to injuries and still knocking him out of a game, a practice, showing up on the injury report, however you want to describe the variance of the injuries. And Shane Sykin said it on Monday. It's not like any of these hits have been dirty. You know, I mean, it's not like we've had the malicious, that dude's getting fined big time for the hit, or that dude's going to be suspended big time for that hit. Um, so I think that's something that also stands out to me. I would just say a couple other things, Richardson related, Eddie, before we move into Taylor, and obviously feel feel free to chime in. I think hindsight is extremely twenty twenty in this. 
But I did want to ask Shane Steichen on Monday, during the draft process, how much did you discuss his durability and kind of withstanding the nature that comes with playing in the NFL, particularly when your playing style is that of a quarterback? Mm -hmm. Because, Eddie, again, hindsight is very 2020. I can't recall many times if we ever really went down this path during the draft process. But I think one of the unknowns when you draft a dude who has 13 starts is there is that element of how much can you handle the wear and tear of one season into the next, into the next, into the next. You know, when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson at Louisville, he started for three years and was really healthy for those three seasons. So did that give ball? And even then, he still fell to 32 and was yeah. the fifth quarterback taken in that draft. So clearly there were still questions. And his frame is different than Richardson's frame. I do think Lamar does a great job of never taking, like, Square hits. Uh, you just, you know, Rick Venturi, the color analyst for the Colts, always calls him an eel. I think that's such a great way to describe it. It's just so slippery. And, and you just don't get square shots on him. It does seem like Richardson had a couple square shots against him this season where guys have just gotten a lot of his body, if you will. And I think when you evaluate a guy during the draft process, I feel like you have got to have that discussion of like, hey, he's only played 13 games. Any worry about how the hits start to add up? Any worry about you know what this looks like as we play a 17-game schedule out? NFL hits are not SEC hits. And again, it probably bleeds more into the career window question. And you guys have heard me say this a thousand times. You know, my thought process, my goal when drafting that young quarterback is – you are creating something that you had with Manning. You're creating a window that is in an 8-10 to year range. I'm being a little realistic, obviously, with the 8-10 to years. Or if you want to use modern-wise, what Kansas City has right now with Mahomes, what Buffalo is nearing, what Cincinnati is nearing, obviously what Houston is trying to do with the draft pick of C.J. Stroud, etc., etc. Because that helps you make these annual type of runs or at least feel like that you have a shot. And I think if that debate happened and you looked at Richardson for 13 games in college, I think you would have to have a little bit of unknown of like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, he's 6'4", 250, so I <laughs> hope he holds up. But you just don't truly know. And, and, and to be fair, he really wasn't hurt in the 13 games of Florida. His injuries were honestly a little bit more in spot duty before that, and then he had the shoulder injury in high school. Um, but Shane basically said that they that they didn't discuss that during the draft process, which I was a little surprised by that answer. I'm thinking... I mean, hell, you're probably talking to like the janitor of the junior high <laughs> that these guys went to. You know, when you talk about a running quarterback, I feel like that has to be discussed. So, um, I think that covers everything Richardson related, Eddie. I know a lot of it is doom and gloom, and I think that's just the unfortunate nature for my rookie expectations for him, and that I just thought it was so, so, so important that he plays plays a lot and gets into these moments that you just can't script. And the fact that it is injury-related, um, that adds to kind of the bummer of it all. And, you know, I'll be curious to see if it's surgery, if it's not. You know, I, I've said this before about Andrew Luck, and I know it's a shoulder, but it's not the same as that shoulder injury. I think they're, I think if Luck would have had surgery right away after the 2015 season and not waited a full another year to have it, we could be talking about a different story with Andrew Luck. So, 
I, I'm interested to see if Anthony Richardson goes down that path. A lot more of the medical aspect to it, Will Carroll. We'll play that interview coming up here in a bit. Um, we'll get into. But anything else, Eddie, on Anthony Richardson on injured reserve? He was on. It was in a sling today at practice. So Yeah, in a sling, uh, was observing practice. Um, yeah, you just hated to see him even in that. I mean, it's... Yeah. And then... Uh, you know, do you worry at all about like, okay, it's a right shoulder? Are you missing like valuable muscle memory reps? You know, with him that who who he has retooled his moat. It's not a lot. It's probably retooled more of his lower body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I don't think that's something that's like I'm super worried about, but it's a question that I have of like, would you feel better if this was a left ankle injury versus a right shoulder injury? So, um, well, if it's more footwork. Once. Yeah, sure. You, you could you, you could totally go the other way. Yeah, you, you, something mean, you, you can could, still work on. Obviously, you would hope like left shoulder versus right shoulder. R- right, guess, right. If you're Duh. You know, really narrowing it down to those body parts there. So, um, I think there's so much to be encouraged by in watching Anthony Richardson play football. Um, and I think for everybody, the hope is that he plays football again this season and is able to end the year on some positive notes because. You just, you know, I asked Shane Sack in the final question of the press conference, I'm like, how's he doing emotionally? I mean, I feel like that's a, I mean, if I were a 21-year-old rookie and all of this and you've had the taste of success in the NFL and then you get thrown this and we'll see when he comes back, mm-hmm. you know, that would that would impact me a bit. And, you know, obviously you need your quarterback pretty mentally wired to have the amount of success that you want to in the NFL. So by no means, obviously is this career threatening or, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, there's no chance he ever recovers from this. Not at all. Um, but it is a huge, huge bummer in my opinion. Transitioning now to the Jonathan Taylor contract extension from Saturday, three years, uh, $42 million in total, 26 and a half million guaranteed. And I think the biggest part about this that we will talk about is the outs in that final year. Leaves a dead cap of $2.5 million just in case you want to get out of the Jonathan Taylor contract, which lines up uh, with the fifth-year option pickup on Anthony Richardson's contract. So uh, pick where you want to start with the extension itself. Well, can I just be happy the story's gone away? Yes. I mean, like, in all, it, the story's gone away and he helps you, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> both of those things win. It's not so, just like win, 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 win. Yeah, uh, checks all those boxes there. Um, you know, Eddie, three years and thirty nine million. That was kind of the ballpark that I always had with this. Um, the three year aspect to it, from an extension standpoint, bleeds into that twenty twenty six year, like you said. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. But that 2026 year, uh, none of that's guaranteed. So, I mean, if you want to, to the point you just brought up, you can get that out right when you've got to make the first decision on Richardson. The first decision on Richardson comes after 2025. That is, if you pick up the fifth-year option on him or not, the likelihood would be that you would. Pretty much if the quarterback has shown you anything, you're going to pick up that fifth-year option. Um, but at that point, I think that's when you've reached a critical juncture of Richardson's career, not only for him individually, but for your own building process. So individually, it's like, all right, 
We've seen him now for two and a half years or you know, however much playing time he gets the rest of the season. We know what he's like. We know what he wants. We know what we need. Um, how do we go about that? Do we feel like Taylor's still got some juice? Do we feel like it's another two years? Probably not. Um, so that's where you have such an ability to maneuver. You maintain some flexibility. You obviously open up some nice cap space. And it helps you start to retool things as you get into the era of, oh, wow, we're now paying a quarterback. And this franchise has not really been in that position for a handful of years. Um, so I think that was an important feature to the contract that I wanted to see. So good work by the Colts, in my opinion, on making sure that that length kind of matched up um, to that level. Um, you know, certainly, Eddie, there are questions that I'm curious about. And Rick, and Taylor is in no mood to share the answers on those questions of the hypotheticals of would he have played without a contract? Would the Colts have paid him without seeing him practice twice? You know, these are all questions that I'm just kind of curious about. A lot of it is a bit water under the bridge in terms of like the deal has happened, but just to get a better picture of what the story is, um, you know, why did Jim Irsay say on Saturday, this happened sooner than I would have liked? Like clearly Irsay was not totally, totally on board with this happening when it did necessarily. He obviously gave the sign-off on it. Um, but why does he say that? You know, Does he just not like paying a running back this early? Does he not like paying one that was a little banged up last year? Does he not like, you know, Malki Kawa dancing on graves right now and sending out three-and-a-half-minute long videos of exposing everybody that tweeted about him over the past, you know, two or three months? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably it's probably a little bit of everything. I'm just glad we didn't end up on there. On that, I was looking for myself. I was I was a little I was a little shocked that uh, we didn't uh, that we didn't show up on that. But again, I think we can debate who won who whatever. I guess technically Taylor won because he got the money and he got and he got paid when he was on the pup list. But let's be honest here, everybody wins. Richardson wins. The Colts win. Chris Ballard wins. The fans win. The fans win, etc. You had money to spend. This does not mean you can't do other things from a spending standpoint. You don't have established weapons at receiver and tight end, and you've got to support your young quarterback. So, uh, to me, this checks so many of those boxes. And, you know, I I know our listeners have heard this before. Um, I am a believer that you don't draft a running back in round one, two, or three because I view those positions – as guys that can play high-level premium football for you in that eight-year window, and you're not going to have second thoughts about that. In running backs, I don't think they have the shelf life to get there anymore. I do think Taylor can be a bit of an anomaly, but more than anything, when you have a young quarterback like this, and in my opinion he needs as much support as possible, you need to do things a little bit differently. And the fact that Jonathan Taylor is only 24 years old, the fact that this contract falls more in kind of like that six-year time frame, then that's why I think that it should be done. Again, in an ideal world, that second-round pick for Taylor, he'd be impacting at a cornerback position. So you're not maybe necessarily in this big a scramble mode, and that is a guy that you feel very good about playing deep into a second contract or a pass rusher or you know insert other premium position uh, here. Uh, anything on your end, Eddie? It sounds like the workload's going to increase a little bit. Ten snaps, 
Seven touches in total for Taylor in week one. How much? Uh, Ten snaps and seven total touches, six carries, one catch. How much would you expect an increase, though? Like, I'd probably double it. Um, Because you heard, I don't know how much or how many times you counted this, but he said he was excited for next week like four different times after the game on Sunday. Right. I think there's an element of you still are going to ease him a little bit. And then he was listed as the... RB1 on the depth chart, right? Yeah, they updated I, that? I don't read too, too much into that, but um, I do think it's something that you, you you can't get away from Zach Moss too, too much right now. I mean, he's he's feeling it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Zach Moss has never been in a rhythm in the NFL because he's never produced like this. So I do think running back is a little bit of you ride that hot hand and you know, it looks like your O-line might get Bernard Ryman back, so you're back to your normal starting five. We'll see how the Braden Smith injury situation plays out this week. But, um, you know, if I'm divvying up carries right now, Eddie, I so what was it? Uh, Taylor got six and Moss got 23. Would, it, would that have been the final count from Sunday? Let's just call it 30. Um, I'd probably go 20-10, 20 Moss, 10 Taylor for this week. You know, maybe 19-11, 18-12, something like that. Uh, and then I think slowly but surely you will get to that 50-50 split and Taylor will eventually take over. But um, I still think Zach Moss is running really well. And we can get more into this when we talk about Jacksonville, Eddie. But like, it's crazy how much has changed since these teams met a month ago. I mean, tomorrow's literally the one-month anniversary from the game. And there's so many changes. More so for the Colts than Jacksonville, but even Jacksonville has some. So, um, again, the Taylor contract made sense. The timing of it? Odd. Is very odd. The Thursday press conference, which I guess we really didn't talk about on the podcast, very odd. Like Jonathan Taylor, I'm like, whoa. I mean, this is like, I don't even know who he is. It's just like wild to like listen to him in these press conference settings. Um, How was he today? Was he closer to the guy that you guys knew, or yeah, yeah, somewhere between of this current? Yeah, probably somewhere between. You know, both of that. Um, but, yeah, he he's just an interesting cat. Um, and there is part of me, Eddie, that sits there and is like, did you just, like, waste four games and two months of unnecessary drama for nothing? Like, I, and I, I don't know, maybe Taylor's camp won in three years and $18 million a year. <laughs> and maybe, like, they eventually got down to this level. But three years, to, three years $42 million seems very reasonable. And it would have seemed very reasonable to me in July. And it just... If this is what it took, and I don't know, maybe you need to see Taylor practice two days. Maybe you need to see a two and two Colts team look better than that you thought. Richardson looking better than you thought. I, I, maybe Taylor was only going to play if he got paid. Um, but to me, it just seems like quite the stink, the public stink of it all, for you to get to a deal that, I mean, in late July, I was like, oh yeah. That's a no-brainer to me. This is the first in-season extension that Chris Ballard has made, right, in his regime or era? The only other one I can think of is Grover Stewart back in 20-whatever. That would have been 19 or 20, uh, November of that year. Um, I think that's it. Jack Doyle, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, several of them right before the season started, like right before. You mm-hmm. know, Rhodes even this year. Just 40 hours before. Um, but yeah, this is, and, and honestly, it's got a Shaquille Leonard feel to it from training camp. 
You remember Leonard signed the deal a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. then two days later he was back. Yeah. You know, Taylor signs it, and whatever, 24 hours, he's back playing in a game. So I, I say this like half-jokingly, half-seriousness. I'm really glad it's over. Again, I'm a little selfish with that comment, but I also think it's good just to move on from this. Like, if you would have let this played out and then slapped the franchise tag on him, Eddie, that's all next offseason's about. And then for the first year and a half of Anthony Richardson's career, all he has seen is like a drama-filled contract dispute playing out between the Colts and their best player. And I, that just that screams unhealthy to me. Mm-hmm. So I know that this is – and I got I got this question – Right after you and I were done recording on Monday, um, I went on our sister station, WIBC, and I go on there every Monday after games, and one of the questions that their host asked me was, does this send the wrong message to the locker room of, if you whine, you will get paid eventually? Totally fair question. I think it's a really relevant one. My response was, no, I don't think it sends that message, because Eddie, if you're Chris Ballard, and I am whatever, EJ Speed is popping in my head, and I start whining. Zaire Franklin. Zaire Franklin. And, and I feel bad using Franklin because he's had a great start of the year, but okay, mm-hmm. fine. Franklin still doesn't have the same resume that Taylor did. Michael Pittman. Let's use that one, all right? Okay. You are Chris Ballard. I'm Michael Pittman, and I say, where's my contract? And you say to me, when have you been a pro bowler? When have you sniffed being a pro bowler? When did you set the franchise record for most rushing yards, a franchise that includes four Hall of Famers at running back? Tied the league record for touchdowns, didn't he? Or was he close? Or was it a franchise? Yeah, close. Tied, one tied for franchising. The other big touchdowns. one to me is, you know, when did you achieve the highest yards per carry in NFL history through three seasons? That's what Taylor has on his resume. Taylor has a resume where as bad as it sounds, he could whine. And get he had a lot of leverage. I, I know that like people viewed running back and they're like, no. But I mean, when you're paid the fifth highest offensive player and it's a team that is void of a lot of offensive weapons, that is where he had some leverage in this. And you know, I've brought up before Mo Ali Cox is making more money than Jonathan Taylor. So um, this one checks the box again. I think an overall building philosophy of don't draft running backs in the first three rounds. That, to me, is still a core belief that I would have. But considering where you're at as a franchise right now with your quarterback situation, supporting that quarterback, using money that I don't or I'm not very optimistic would have been used in a significant manner elsewhere, um, that, to me, also makes sense. And it matches up a timeline that still allows you to do other things and doesn't hamstring you deep into the 2020s. Anything else to add, or would you like to start previewing the opponent for Sunday? Let's go into Jacksonville. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. The Jacksonville Jaguars have spent their last two weeks across the pond in London. That's got to be a good thing for the Colts, right? I was about to say the same thing to you. I said it feels like this could have a game that where... Either A, Jacksonville is just flat the entirety, or they come out flat, Colts get ahead, and then they try to make a comeback in the second half. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how Jacksonville shows up. And I think it's a, this echoes kind of what I said at the start of the podcast, Eddie. I think this is a huge game for both teams. I mean, when you view it, you know, I was looking up a stat the other day. Both um, 
The Colts, I think, have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way right now. Jacksonville has the sixth hardest schedule the rest of the way. So, you know, if you look at, let's say the Colts go out and win on Sunday, you'll split the head-to-head. You'll have given Jacksonville their second division loss. Yeah. Whereas the Colts only have one division loss. So that's the second tiebreaker. If you split head-to-head, it goes to what is your AFC South record. So as long as the Colts hold serve the rest of the way at Tennessee, home to Houston, you'll have you know, gotten that head-to-head tiebreaker over yeah. Jacksonville. So that is a big, big deal when you're talking about these two teams potentially being there at the end. Now, again, um, I said this in Week 1, and I think I only feel stronger about it here in Week 6, Eddie. I think it's the best collection of offensive skill you see all year long. Mm-hmm. I think Lawrence, ETN, we'll see about Zay Jones's health, but Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley look really, really good. Evan Ingram, I think it's the best skill group plus quarterback you'll see all year. Maybe Cincinnati, but still. I mean, who knows what Cincinnati's going to look like come week 14, whenever that is. Now, where you have a huge advantage is, again, that Jacksonville O-line. Mm-hmm. And that is a group that I think you can beat up. And so that is an absolute must. And it does look like Quiddy Pay back to work today. So um, that's a good sign for Sunday. But I'll go back to what I was saying earlier about how much this has changed since week one. Think about it, Eddie. Walker Little, by the way, for Jacksonville, undergoing an MRI on his knee after he left Sunday's game over the Bills. Uh, Cam Robinson, he exited briefly in that game against Buffalo with an elbow injury, but. Doug Peterson has said that he will be fine, so he should be able to suit up against the Colts. Yeah, and we should begin the injury report here pretty shortly, so we'll we'll provide that if we do. Uh, keep an eye on that, Eddie, if you don't mind. Um, week one, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback. Well, now it's Gardner Minshew. Week one, uh, your running backs were Deion Jackson, Evan Hall, and Jake Funk. Well, now it's Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, week one, your cornerbacks were... Dallas Flowers and Daryl Baker Jr. flanking Kenny Moore. Now it's Juju Brents and Jalen Jones. And you just brought up Cam Robinson. He was out for week one with the start of a four-game suspension. So, you know, these teams, it's just been a month. But, man, you want to talk about some big differences, more Colts-related than Jacksonville-related. Absolutely huge in terms of how different the personnel is. That was a wacky game, I thought, in week one. Uh, Tail of two halves for Richardson, really good in the first half. A little deer in headlights in the second half. You had the crazy fumble play, you know, mm-hmm. where, where Buckner picks it up after Franklin punches it out, and I guess DeForest got the original strip. I thought your secondary played decent. I thought Jacksonville made some in- such impressive catches at the moment of truth. I mean, 50-50 balls where they just they just snagged them, man. They just made big-time plays. And that's part of them, and that, again, that's part of having elite skill at the pass-catching spots. But um, again, I think this is a Jacksonville team that's got some very impressive offensive talent. Um, we do have an injury report. We do have the Colts injury report. Uh, not a long one, by the way. Good. On a Wednesday. Last Was last week the long one? Yeah. The last week was the long one. Okay, your DNPs, your only two. Moali Cox concussion, Braden Smith foot and wrist. Never like to see multiple injury reports listed or multiple body parts listed. Foot is a new one for him. Foot is a new one. Um, yeah, wrist. Wasn't it thumb? Was it thumb or was it wrist? Yeah, you, you, you're right. It was the right wrist uh, that he played through last week. Uh, then the other three that all missed last week were all full. 
that would be Shaq, that would be Quiddy Pay, that would be Bernard Ryman. So, all in all, I think pretty good on that uh, front. We'll continue to watch Braden Smith, and obviously if he can't go, uh, Blake Freeland get used to flip-flopping tackle spots like he has already had to do here in his first season. Um, hey, I'm trying to think other things first meeting-wise. I mean, obviously the game really turned on the Jamal Agnew punt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just such a critical play in the fourth quarter, Eddie, that in a snap of of a finger, and, and Rigo didn't punt it well, remember, in that game. So, yeah, just wild. Um, and you have the elephant in the room that you haven't won there since 2014. It's... I think it has little bearing on Sunday. By little, I mean like 2% of bearing on Sunday. But it is still an astonishing stat. Mm-hmm. I mean, astonishing. I mean, you, you were shut out there last year. Minshew has beat you twice in games down there. <laughs> 2020 and 2019. Now he's your starting quarterback. Phillip Rivers beat him in the opener. Uh, do you remember the Cody Kessler game, Eddie? Gosh. 6 nothing. Do I ever. In 2018, Frank Reich is still going forward on fourth downs. In that game, Cody Kessler beating Andrew Luck. You lost in London. I was at that game. That was a crazy Antonio Cromartie game. Um, and then you gave up 51 one time. 51. Mm. 51. Matt Hasselbeck, I think, got the start in that one there. Um, I actually went back and looked at the Colts starters from the last time that they won there. 2014. Yeah, you want to you, you want a quick rundown of those just to hear some names. Um, well, can I? I, I know the quarterback. Well, I mean, duh. Curtis Andrew Painter, Luck, right? Trent Richardson, T.Y. Hilton, Reggie Wayne, Dwayne Allen, Kobe Fleener, Anthony Costanzo, Jack Muhort, A.Q. Shipley, Hugh Thornton, Gosder, Chairless, and then your defense: Corey the Legend, Redding, Josh Chapman, who I think is on Alabama's staff as a strength coach, Ricky Jean Francois. Bjorn Werner, Eric Walden, Dequell Jackson, Josh McNary, and then the vaunted secondary of Greg Toller, Vontae Davis, Mike Adams, and Laurent Landry. That is your. I just twitched. That is your 2014. What does the banner say? AFC finalist. Is that correct? Yeah. That is your 2014 AFC finalist. I'm twitching after you say Greg Toller. Colts dominated the Jags. 44-17. I think that was... Did you even mention uh, Ahmad Bradshaw played in that game for Bradshaw us Bradshaw well? uh, in relief duty of Mr. Richardson. He, he might have been the leading rusher that game, right? Bradshaw was. 9 for 65. You didn't even mention uh, Eugene Marquise Hilton. T.Y. Hilton in that game as well. Yeah, so, again, Col- it's just... Akeem Nix, Dante Moncrief... It, I mean, the list crazy. just goes on. And you know what, Eddie, with a win on Sunday, you win three in a row in the South. Three in a row in the AFC South. You obviously didn't do that last year. You didn't do it in 2021. Last time you did it was 2020 when you made the playoffs. So you got to string games together in this division, and in, in any division, obviously. So um, we'll give our Colts-Jags picks to round it out. Uh, Super Bowl champion for the Jags appeared in that one for them. A Super Bowl champion? Yeah. Blaine Gabbert? No. Then Blaine Gabbert went one with Brady. Uh, yeah. who? Chad Henney. Chad Henney. Legend. Can you uh, name it? Jacksonville's leading rusher in that game. Jacksonville's leading rusher in the 2014 game was... I have no freaking idea. You know it was college? Yeah. If I told you it was college, you'd give it away. He was on the cover. 
Really? Uh-huh. Of the Fournette? college video game. No. Not Fournette. Uh, who? Denard Robinson. Wow. Gosh. Big house, Notre Dame, Michigan. That was when Eminem was in the uh, booth with Musburger and Kirk at one point. Uh, anything else, Colts, Jags, Eddie, before we get to Will Carroll? I do not have anything else to make Colts fans depressed. Again, this is the injury expert, Will Carroll. Um, we, By the way, Eddie, we recorded this on Tuesday morning. He appeared on our show. So at that point, we had not heard four to eight weeks injured reserve for Anthony Richardson. So I wanted to make sure we got that in there. Again, hope you find this somewhat educational. Uh, Will Carroll. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Let's talk injuries. Anthony Richardson obviously has been such a huge story here in Indianapolis. Will Carroll joins us yet again at Injury Expert. If you want to follow him on Twitter, underthenife.substack.com. Will, good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, when that pool first opened, it was the FanDuel pool, and uh, we had we had a ton of stuff in there. <laughs> I'm sure you have you been in the pool. I personally no, no. I was working when I was down there, but uh, gotcha. It, it was an interesting, interesting little outfit. Do you know somebody who has been in the pool? I guess you I have do. a buddy. Yes. Okay. Well, we might have to talk off air exactly. Uh, Didn't think we'd be transitioning yeah, from the well, Jacksonville pool to the franchise quarterback <laughs> shoulder to an AC joint injury. injury. But that's where we're at. <laughs> the always informative Will Carroll's with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Will, thank you for the time as always. Let's just start as basic as you can, even though the answer is probably a bit complicated. Yeah. What is an AC joint and what does a sprain of it mean? Well, this one's this part of it is actually fairly simple, and you know, if, as long as you're not driving to work, uh, you can do this at home. If you just follow your collarbone all the way down to the end, you'll feel a little point, and then there's a you'll feel a little gap there before it becomes what's called the acromion process of your shoulder. So, the the actual joint, why we call it AC, is it's a chromioclavicular joint. In that little gap is the AC ligament. And anytime there's damage to a ligament, that's a sprain. So a grade three usually means it's either significantly torn and is not going to hold under stress or that it is completely ruptured. So that's what we're looking at. Now, the other problem is there's another structure just under it called the coracoid, and you get the CC joint between the clavicle and the coracoid. And this is where it gets really complicated because once that gap opens up in the AC, the clavicle, the collarbone starts to move. And if, it, if the coracoid process moves as well, you can actually get a situation where the clavicle collapses and your collarbone basically is what everything else in your body is hung on. So that can actually be life-threatening. We don't think that's the case here. We just think it's a significant sprain, could need surgery, and the surgery has gotten significantly different, uh, significantly better uh, in the last few years. You had mentioned yesterday on Twitter that, um, and I hope I'm saying this last name right, is it Meister? 
Yeah, Keith Meister. Okay, Richardson heading to see Dr. Keith Meister down in the Dallas area. Team physician, ironically, for the Rangers, so kind of a busy guy right now. He was at the University of Florida for a decade. I Mm -hmm. I bring that up because Richardson's team is – he wasn't there at Florida when Richardson was there, but, you know, the agent and and people that, you know, would probably be influencing him on this decision um, certainly would, would I assume, have some familiarity or or at least a degree of separation or two. (laughs) What would surgery mean for Anthony? Richardson and the rest of the 2023 season? Well, that's the thing. is This is so completely changed with the advent of what's called suture tape. Um, all you have to do is think back to Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback who had uh, surgery where they put an internal brace in his elbow and he came back in just months and he's looked pretty darn good. Keith Meister did that surgery as well. They can do that where they actually basically tie the uh, the joint back together, let the ligament uh, heal uh, under repair, and the the suture tape is what they call it, uh, that, that forms the brace. That basically makes it so the ligament can't be hurt. There's, it's stronger than the ligament's ever going to be. Uh, we've seen this use, same kind of thing used in knees. Uh, Tua Valoa has it in both high ankles. Uh, so we're seeing this used more and more, uh, and it's really successful. The problem is we don't have a case on a high-level quarterback like this. So I, I really can't say. Normally, you know, with a grade two, we're looking at four to six weeks. With a grade three, this used to be a season ender. But I can't give you a really good one because we just don't have very many examples at this level. Will Carroll with us at Injury Expert joins us here Tuesday on the Fan on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I was going to ask you what's the best and worst case scenario, but it sounds like it's just totally up in the air. That that's a fair thing for me to say, right? It's just a we don't know yet, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's going to suddenly run back in and play next week. That's just not going to happen. I think we're looking at a minimum of a month. I'll be surprised if he doesn't go on the injured reserve Um, because you can bring him back in four weeks. And if it's a four- to six-week injury, what the heck? That just means you can bring in another quarterback just to be safe. They're going to have to do that, I think. Uh, So the upside is, you know, five years ago, I would have said this is a season ender. Um, You can come back from this. There's no question about it. It's not like his long-term future is in question. But, uh, you know, yeah, (laughs) it's it's a pretty broad uh, time frame. This is a silly question. And, again, this Dr. Meister seems to be – maybe he's a Dr. James Andrews uh, when it comes to these. He's actually one of his fellows. There you go, when it comes to these sorts of things. But we're looking at, like, a third option here for AR. Going down the road of the initial diagnosis, a second option, and then a third option. To me, that signifies this is worse than uh, maybe we even initially thought. Is that fair? And then when you're getting two, three, four uh, different opinions, what does that mean in the medical world when so many people are looking at you know a particular injury? Uh, it's very common. Uh, especially for a serious high-value guy. Um, you know, like I said, Dr. Meister does all sorts of surgeries. He's a team doctor uh, for, for the Rangers, as you said. Uh, he consults with a lot of other. You know, there's really only about five or six doctors who are consulted on everything. Um, so it's going to be the same guys over and over. Um, it's one of those deals where there, there's certain doctors that people go to for certain things. You're going to hear Dr. Andrews. You're going to hear Dr. Meister. You're going to hear Dr. Elatrosh. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very small community. And nine out of ten times, uh, it's going to be all of those. Will Carroll's with us again, the injury expert on Twitter, underthenife.com is where you can find his work. Will, is there such a thing as 
you know, athletes being injury prone or guys more prone to injury, if you will? I hate to use the term, especially with somebody as young as Richardson. You know, he had no problems in college, didn't play that much, but uh, he he had no problems. And in this one, he had uh, a concussion, which can happen to anybody. We saw exactly how it happened to him. Uh, And he has the same injury that two other quarterbacks have. David Carr has it. He has a grade one. Deshaun Watson had a grade two. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Um, And and we've seen this over and over. Tony Romo had this. with Aaron Rodgers had had a similar one. He had an AC sprain, but he also broke his collarbone, which is common. Um, you see a lot of these. The shoulders just have no protection. Everybody thinks, oh, but look at those big old shoulder pads. Um, when you're getting driven down and a guy lands on top of you, I mean, just think about how your shoulder moves when you're on your side sleeping. Now imagine a 300-pound man jumping on you, and there's not nearly as much give uh, as on a mattress on that, that turf. So is he injury-prone? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call him that. You know, the guy who tore his other ACL uh, after coming back from uh, – uh, rehabbing his other one. Those are the kind of guys who might I might call injury prone. Would it? You know, Richardson just turned 21 years old. I mean, I, I remember asking him a question at training camp. Well, like, hey, you know, the sounds like you've put on some weight. Was that like by choice? And he's like, no, that's just my body <laughs> growing. And yeah. I mean, he's listed at six four and two fifty five. Like, is this something to where his body is still growing per se, and that is contributing no, no. to the variety of injuries, or is that dumb? Uh, that was kind of dumb because, you know, again, they're not associated anyway. It's not like his, his ligaments are falling apart. This is a, a very clear traumatic injury where other guys have this. You know, if you think back to the draft, we were all told that Bryce Young was going to be the injury-prone one because right. he was so small. <laughs> right. Uh, and he, he's, he's fine. Uh, this is just one of those things. It happens to quarterbacks because they're down and people land on them and shoulders are just constructed that way. Is there anything, Will Carroll, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline? You know, a local columnist here wrote about it today, yesterday, and today. And we've talked a little bit about it. It's been a huge story in the NFL. The playing surface when quarterbacks go down, uh, you know, you're on turf there. Lucas Oil, does that have anything? Does that contribute anything to injuries such as this? To this specifically, no. Again, 300-pound men falling on you is not good for any part of your body, but especially the shoulder when you're in that position trying to hold on to the ball. Um, for feet and ankles, yeah, there was a significant problem. And a study was done back in 2016, and the turf has been changed twice since then. So is it better? I don't know. A lot of people complain that it's a flat surface. Most have a crown. You can see that kind of uh, arc in the middle. Um, so I don't even know if grass could be put in here without you know massive changes, which would uh, probably add to our tax burden. Um, but it, it's one of those situations where it's really difficult to say because we've seen this exact same injury on grass. You know, Deshaun Watson's happened on grass. I can't remember whether Cars was at home, which is grass, but it's inside, so it doesn't have the normal give. Um, I, I just don't see any way you could change it, and I don't think this one you can specifically blame it. When, when you're talking about, like, foot and ankle injuries, like Derek Henry had right. last year uh, playing in Indianapolis, yep, that one I'd look at. Okay, Will, in, in summer here, in here, and really appreciate your time on this Tuesday morning, you mentioned again Keith Meister, the head physician of the Rangers, someone that Richardson is heading to for another 
another another opinion. Uh, we would be looking at about four to six weeks if rehab was chosen and if surgery was chosen. It'd be much longer than that. Is that correct? Four to six weeks is the low end on this. Yeah, with a grade three. Um, it, it's difficult to say, uh, and if if it's surgery again, we just there's not enough uh, examples at this level with uh, the, the new kind of surgery that they're using to put these back together to really give a good time frame. And we would not be looking at anything the long term. I guess I'm trying to picture throwing mechanism wise. What would it look no, like no. for him getting back to you know normal? He'd be fine. He'd be fine. All right, Eddie. That is the injury expert, Will Carroll. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, I thought I thought that was that was informative. Uh, Josh Downs, by the way, appeared on our morning show, the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy, on Wednesday. So if you're looking for that, uh, feel free to search our podcast page there. Uh, but unless you've got anything else, man, let's do Twitter questions. How was Josh Downs, by the way? He was good. Yeah, I think of the. I I, I enjoy Michael Michael Pittman. Alec Pierce isn't going to give you much in those settings, but um, I enjoy Downs, and I I think he. You watch him on the field, and you're like, that dude's a seasoned vet. You listen to him in an interview setting, and you're like, that dude's a seasoned vet. Now, you can tell his dad played in the NFL. You can tell Dre Blyze's uncle. Like, he's been around it. Mm-hmm. He just gets it. You know, Jim Bob Cooter had a comment earlier in the week of, us as a coaching staff has so much trust in Josh Downs on option routes. And you think about a rookie. I mean, that's a big deal. If I go this way and he throws it that way, we're f- <laughs> we're screwed. That we're, ain't good, man. We're jaked. Yeah, we we are not good. And they clearly feel com- feel comfortable. And again, you guys have heard me say this: basketball players in the wideout room, enough power forwards. You needed to get a point guard in there, and he's that. And I, I think he's more than that. I mean, you know, he high pointed the ball down the field on the third and sixteen for the big gain. And I, I like the variety of routes that he caught balls on on on, on Sunday. So. um yeah, I added him, added him to one of my fantasy teams. I got about thirty injuries on a few weeks back. I'm like, oh, don't even get me started. You could, you, you, you can feel him emerging on and, uh, uh, in our league. I guess lost Devon Chain and Justin Jefferson. So, gosh, man, I'm I've got the like that. the third highest scoring and the most points scored against me. It's yeah, ridiculous. I feel like I had a big week against you. Yeah, you put up like 150. Yeah. Anywho, you ready for Twitter questions? Let's do them. Tim is up first. Bigger and faster does not pay off when the collision is with an immovable object such as the ground. Anthony Richardson should be able to take big hits and move on. He won't be able to run himself to the ground and walk away. His speed and weight are a disservice. I realize one hit took him out of the game, that being the concussion, but the ground contact is what led to that. Knee equals ground, shoulder equals ground. If he is going to continue to run, lessening the weight and improving flexibility, it could be advantageous. Just my two cents, and again, thank you for the articles and the pod. Uh, Tim has got some history in the medical field, Eddie. So I this, can tell. Yeah, and this is why that I want to throw it in there, and it kind of sparked a little bit of like, all right, let's ask Shane Steichen the, I, I don't even know what I was asking him, medical, inertia, gravity. I, I, I have no idea what I was asking him, but like, I, I don't know. Like, is he too big and too fast? Oh boy! I, like, I mean, it sounds so stupid to even say. And obviously, there are players of his size that like are that big and are that fast. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that that fast, but are clearly that big. But like, big free, big tree fall hard. 
I mean, that's I think that's a fair statement to make. I mean, like when you hit him mm-hmm. and the mile per hour that he can ramp it up to and the size that he's at, it's going to be an impactful hit. So I don't know if we're to like the two a point of you got to get to learn how to fall, you know, like that aspect to it. Because I think that is so much more difficult than it sounds. Um, but I'll probably stand by more of a controlled thing. And I think if you're Shane Steichen, you've got to look into, okay, how many design runs are we utilizing him in during a game? Because if you can shrink that number a little bit, I think that can be huge for you. I remember us talking about that too before the season. It's like, how many times a game you expect to run him? Right. And again, Shane has got no reservations. I mean, he he wants to run him. So, um, it, it's going to take something drastic. And I do think internally, I think Shane Sykin's a bit, this is, it, it's like he's seen a ghost a little bit of like, we got to get this dude healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I think it has hit him. And I think the issue is they're searching for the answers just as much as everybody else's. Right. Garrett is up next. We'd love to see if you stand glass half full or glass half empty right now with the Colts' defense. Do good defenses allow their opponents to constantly drive into plus territory and not score touchdowns, or do they keep their opponent from gaining yards, period? Feels as if Indy won because they got the plays uh, deep in the field that they needed to in order to win, but not sure how sustainable that is. Hard to complain with the win, though. Different feeling about uh, different feeling from last December. Cheers to you and Eddie. Can't wait to listen this week. Yeah, Garrett, it's, that's a good question. Um, I'm starting to get questions now, KB. Yeah. Where they're calling me Andy on purpose. <laughs> so look what you've started. I know. That's all on me, man. I'm such an idiot. Uh, apologies for that. You know, I, selfishly, I'd like to see the dictate, uh, the defense dictate a little bit more. Um, you know, the number one wideout stat is, you know, that's something that's, oh boy, that's that's starting to become a trend. But again, the run defense has been really solid. I think your playmaking has been pretty good. Um, and, you know, as much as Garrett says, yeah, you know, it, it's not great that Tennessee penetrated into your territory as much as you did. Part of defense in the NFL is can you bow up when it's time to? And the Colts did that quite often on Sunday. And, and ultimately, point scored is is point scored. So um, a glass half full, glass half empty, those are two like obviously very different ends of the spectrum there. Um, I think there's reason to have some optimism about this Colts defense. But at the same time, you, know, you look at a challenge like Sunday, and that's one of the bigger ones. And... and Eddie, it's one of those things where, man, you start looking at the quarterbacks you're going to face. I mean, what? Dorian Thompson maybe next week and, you know, I guess Derek Carr. But then, I mean, who knows if Bryce Young's even going to be the quarterback? Who knows if Mac Jones is even going to be the quarterback? I mean, Baker Mayfield and Tannehill. It's not like you're playing this gauntlet of quarterbacks this season. I think um, I, I think they're not going with DTR if he play if Watson is out this week. I think they're going with uh, PJ Walker. Are they going PJ Walker? Mm-hmm. Well, not that that's all of a sudden going to make Gus Bradley lose any more sleep. No, not at all. With Anthony Richardson's injury, what significant changes do you think the Colts could make to drill it into his head to protect himself? Question is from Vaughn. I get it. It is who he is as a player, but as a Colts fan, we have suffered so much from bad luck around here. Are we cursed? Well, Vaughn, I, I yeah. I hope there, that's not a pun because I mean, 
the luck comment? Yeah. 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 I would say let's start here because I got into the design run thing. We can get back to it here in just a second, Eddie. But I think Richardson did a nice job the last couple of weeks of making a few more business decisions. And I think business decisions have a very negative connotation. Like you're basically saying when you make a business decision that you're being soft. I don't care. Be soft. Like, don't you don't I don't need to see you do Josh Allen. I don't need to see you extend a second and seven scramble that you've already gotten a first down. I don't need to see you cut it back to the middle of the field. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. You are tough. You made it to the NFL. Congratulations. You've if it matters to you, you've checked the box in the Kevin Bowen toughness meter. I don't need to see any more. So I would start there. When you have opportunities where you're scrambling or you're in the open field, continue to make the business decisions. Okay? That's my first thought. Check. Then let's go back to the design runs, Eddie. What did I say earlier? Take the number eight, bring it down to four design mm-hmm. runs in a game. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's do that math. A lot of math that we're doing here on Kevin's Corner. Okay, how many games are in a season? 17. Okay, 17 times four is what? Eight carry the two. 68. 68. Okay. Eight carry the two. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to picture myself hoping Rosie with her multiplication here coming up and probably, I don't know, whatever, half a dozen years. Um, actually, probably earlier than that. Okay, so let's say he runs out of bounds on 10 of those 68 hits. Okay. So now we're down to 58. 58. How many slides? Um. Well, let's just group all that together. Let's say he takes 10 less hits. Okay. So instead of 68, he now takes... 58? If there's one or two injuries in those 10 hits, isn't that a win? Like, if you just avoided one of the Harold Landry's, which I know the Harold Landry's is not necessarily the greatest example because he couldn't have gotten out of bounds there. But could Steichen have not called the design run early in the second quarter? I don't want to sound like I'm roasting Shane Steichen for this. I think you need to run him like you did to get a feel for who he is as an NFL player. Because, again, this goes back to the debate of what you had during the draft. You didn't really know what you had yeah. with him. So you had to kind of throw everything out there and see what sticks. But can you get – I don't know. If you have 10 less hits a year – now that I'm looking at the math, I feel like I didn't even do that right. Four. Okay, so four times 17 68, right? Yeah. So we're taking out 68 runs, okay? Let's say he gets hit on 60 of those 68, right? Because we're saying he goes out of bounds or he slides on the other eight. Yeah. So we're taking out 60 hits. That's a, that, that's a much bigger number. So if you're taking out 60 hits, what if you got a couple of in- injuries? How'd you get 60? Eight design runs becomes four a game. Four times 17 is 68. Ah, okay. There's our 68 Yeah, hit. I got it. Got it. That, you know, do you, if you do the math on that, that obviously is something that, I don't know, helps them out. I don't know, man. Now this math is stressing me out. Don't do math on the podcast. <laughs> I used to like math, too. Yeah, so you're looking at 68 just by lowering the number from eight per game to four per game and then... 78, 80, if he slides or goes out of bounds on 10 to 12. Should we move on? We can, if you'd like. <laughs> I apologize for that. God, that was painful. Three questions left. Oh, thankfully. 
Cody, I was going to ask about just the stark difference between Frank Reich and Shane Steichen. I know it's early, but I don't think it can be understated how crazy it is the difference of this team, especially considering how in shambles they were last season. From preparation to mental toughness and the fact that Carolina has looked dreadful. Yeah, um, I think that is certainly boy Frank Reich right now, man. Is he going to make it to Halloween? Boy, I don't know. You know, Cody, I, I do think part of this is just a new coach and a new message and not stale and old. And I, I think at times last year I mentioned, you know, Frank's message, when the message is super consistent, you could also say it's super stale. And when the losing starts to happen as well, that it gets really stale. Um, I think Shane brings more of the energy that younger players like. Yes. That I don't want to sound like an I'm an ageist with that comment. I just think that that is a little bit more of what players gravitate towards. Now, again, I think any new coach, Eddie, would provide a different environment. Like, And guys would just walk back into the building after four months and they'd be like, Hallelujah, folks. Thank you, Raheem Morris. Like, you are exactly what we needed. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't... I just felt like they got tired of the kumbaya, the right, mountain, right, and, right. you know... Right. So, I don't want this to be like, Frank Reich is literally the worst coach in the history of professional sports, and Shane Sykin is Vince Lombardi. Like, but I do think this style of coaching is what players gravitate towards a little bit more. Again, I think... You know, when we made the Sirianni right comparison so often with Steichen, you know, I tried to tell our listeners it, he's more Sirianni than Reich, which is what you want, in my opinion. I'm not saying like end all be all works. There's a lot that goes into coaching, and you've got to have a brilliant mind. He certainly has that. Um, but there is obviously a difference to this. And, and and again, I would hope there would be. I mean, you just had one of the most embarrassing seasons in your franchise's history. I would hope the players would just have a self-motivation this year at a different level than last year. Yeah, when I was at that game Sunday, I watched uh, Shane Steichen just rip into the official over something that they missed that they didn't call. It was on that final drive of the game, and I was sitting there. I'm like, did I ever see Frank Reich do that? Like, did Frank ever challenge an official like that? Yeah. But Mm -hmm. demonstratively... Right. I was like, I can't think of that. Yeah. And again, you can have mild-mannered head coaches that have success. I mean, let's not act like Frank didn't have any success here. He certainly had some success. But I think if you were to pull players and say, what would you rather have? They'd rather have more of the undresser. Yeah, just because, you know, if you're slacking, he will, like you just said, he will undress you. Right. And again, look at the accountability, whether it's a Deion Jackson, whether it's a Daryl Baker, you know, things like that we've already seen. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Questions left. Uh, Jordan and Gatto. Hey, KB. Just wondering how you think the Colts will divide out carries between Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. And can you take Zach Moss out of the lead back role that he has uh, that he has now with the momentum he has right now. 
Yeah, you know, again, we kind of touched on this earlier, Eddie. You know, 10 touches, or excuse me, 10 snaps and 7 touches for Taylor. Um, I, I don't think that number becomes 50-50 right away. But I do think over the course of a game, Eddie, you can kind of get into that hot hand feel. Of I think you could map out going into Sunday, okay, how about 18 for Moss, 12 for Taylor, or 20 for Moss, 10 for Taylor. But if one guy's kind of feeling it, I'm fine with that number shifting a little bit here. Um, I mean, hell, there's been some times as a Notre Dame fan this year, I'm like, wait, what a minute? That's who the running back is in <laughs> at this point of the game? So um, I do think those are some things that you can do and should do. So um, it, it sounds like they're going to continue to ramp him up. It's not going to be you know, a, a massive amount for Taylor, but I think slowly but surely that number will continue to get closer. But Moss deserves to be the lead guy. Moss deserves to be the starting back on Sunday. 100%. I would agree with you there. Uh, does Shaq Leonard have a future with the Indianapolis Colts? This is from Jay. With the way Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed have been playing, I don't think so. He would have a liability on the big fourth down late, in my opinion, if he was out there. Love the podcast and your content. Jay, I appreciate it. Um, Eddie, this question will continue to hold higher relevance uh, it's October 11th, so the answer on October 11th doesn't necessarily mean that that's the answer on December 11th or January 11th or February 11th, but if you all of a sudden had to make a decision today, I, I, you'd, you'd have to debate, you'd have to convince me why Shaquille Leonard should still be here. Um, you got to get the return on that contract. And if not, you better take a big-time restructure with that. Um, and again, if you're going to go play a game tomorrow and you needed two linebackers, I'd pick Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed. Yeah. You can't ignore you've drafted well at this spot, too. So, you know, you don't think Zaire Franklin needs a bump in pay? <laughs> he was asked about that today. He didn't want to go anywhere close to that one. But he, he certainly deserves that. Um and Leonard's contract is very friendly in that you can get out of it right now. It's still, I mean, he's under contract through 2026, but the dead cap hit would not be too much. I think it's $8 million, if I'm not mistaken. I think you'd save about 12 Last I checked, I could have that number wrong, but I believe that is where it's at. So, um, yeah, Eddie, the, again, the good news is, is this is still week six, and Gus Bradley said, we'll wait till November to really kind of see the full, full Leonard. So, Still? You mean already? Like it's gone by quick. Well, yeah. You know, that is something that, again, you don't have to make this decision now, but right. based off what we've seen so yeah, yeah. far, I mean, it, this is a Franklin Speed thing. And when you talk about allocating resources and where you, you know, are investing money and where you put this and where you put that, like, you got to have return on investment. And it'd be one thing, Eddie, if I could recall, and obviously he missed last week, but if you go off the first four games, I can't even recall times where I remember Leonard making a play. Just one tackle for loss, right? Yeah, Jacksonville, right? Is that first game of the season. So, yeah. you know, whereas Franklin and Speed, it, it just seems like there's so many of them. Obviously, Franklin more than Speed. How about Zaire Franklin, Eddie? Since 2000, he is one of two linebackers ever. And by ever, I mean 23 years, since 2000, to have at least 12 tackles in each of the first five games. Himself? Himself and? Himself. Zach Thomas. Ah, oh, darn. Wild. I get, like, 
we're talking, I mean, it's not like the games have changed over time in the sense of like, anytime you get now season statistics, you've got the inflated one by a game now, since we've added a game to the NFL schedule. But we're just going off first five games of the season. Him and Zach Thomas, only linebackers in the last 23 years to have at least 12 tackles. KB, it's Wednesday. Of the first five games. It's Wednesday. Yes. Does that mean prediction time? Yep. Who you got? Four-point spread, right? Am I going first? Yeah, you're going first. I almost nailed last week, 1917. That was somewhat close. Um, Let's go. uh, I had 2013. Oh, you you were very close as well. Let's go Jacksonville 26, Colts 17. 26? 26. Missed, missed extra point after hitting a couple field goals in a windy day in Jacksonville. Mm. I will do uh, Jags 24, Colts 20. Close one. And the Colts cover. Minshew Mania. Leading a late charge there for that one. He is Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Content up on 1075thefan.com. Thank you for tuning in to Kevin's Corner. Go Irish, beat USC, please. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.